Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. What a great passage. Stand with me, if you would, as we read God's word together. This is Jeremiah speaking, but beginning of verse 5, it's God who's speaking. It says this, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage and the beauty of these words. I pray you would help us to take them to heart today in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. This morning's message is entitled, Celebrating the God of Life. Uh, isn't that a cute baby? That's not my baby, but that's a cute baby. Um, every year, I begin the year, at the last Sunday in January, with the State of the Church Address, but that last Sunday of January across the Southern Baptist Convention is also Pro-Life Sunday or Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so I don't get to preach that sermon, that message. And I've not actually preached the uh, uh, Sanctity of Life message in just a few years since, I think, since the last time I preached it, our excellent Supreme Court has passed some legislation that has made such a huge difference. And it is a starting point uh, for life. So I am eager to share with you this morning, and I, I want you at least, and this is my goal, I'm not here to, to condemn anybody. I don't even want to talk about the past at all. If you have a past, you, you've had an abortion before, or you uh, know somebody, or you've been part of that, or you encourage that with somebody, there's no, there's no reason to haggle over the past. It doesn't change anything. What I do want to do is for you to at least be able to walk out of here today knowing some important verses that demonstrates where I believe that God stands on this subject. I will also want to give you some loving actions you can take that will make a difference. It is not overly complicated. Uh, it is pretty straightforward in God's word. But first, in defending and celebrating the sanctity of life, of life I, I feel compelled to to start with the question that many ask, why say anything? Isn't it a private matter? I hear that. Isn't it someone else's decision to make? How is it any of my business or any of our business? Which brings up an important point that's been happening across our nation in recent years, not only with this subject, but with others as well. And I, I call it the psychology of silence. Now, I want to be very careful here. I'm not interested in political sermons. I'm not preaching a political, I don't think it's a political issue. This, this challenge, this respect for life has happened or was happening, and this, this particular issue has been, was happening long before there was the United States of America, long before there was Republican, Democrats, or Independents, or undecided. It's a biblical issue. But there is what I call in our country a psychology of silence. And I'll share with you just a minute. There, to some extent, it, it goes both ways. Whether you consider yourself a conservative, a moderate, or liberal, political or not political, there is a psychology of silence. The psychology of silence says that we, who have our own strongly held views about anything, um, that it is inappropriate or wrong for us to voice our views, 
or that we shouldn't have those views, but if we're going to have those views, we should at least stay quiet about it. Don't tell anyone because our views to many are considered shameful. Now, again, to be fair, we consider more uh, liberal views often to be shameful, and we think of them in the same way. Part of the price of living in a democracy is that everybody gets to have their view. There should not be a shaming of silence. Now, I'm not talking about hating one another or threatening one another or having violence against one another, but we're in a democratic republic. That means everybody gets to have their view, and it's okay for you to share your convictions. Um, and by the way, uh, so, uh, well, well, let me just leave it at that. Uh, again, what I call the psychology of science, uh, silence, if I say science, it's not science, it's silence. I wrote down several of these approaches to the psychology of silence, and one is the theology of silence. The theology of silence is the act of voicing our views is somehow against what the Bible teaches on this and other issues because we should love others, and if we love others, we should accept them, and to accept them, we must agree with what they're doing. The approach among much of the liberal world is if you don't agree with us on these issues, they're judging us. And judging people is unbiblical and wrong. And they're half right. It, it, judging people is not our purpose in life. That part is true. Hating, condemning, dismissing others is absolutely wrong just because they disagree with us. But it works, again, in the opposite as well, just because we disagree with them. These are not basis for hating one another. And so it, as Christians, it's not our purpose. And by the way, as Christians, we have an added responsibility that other people don't have, other Americans don't have. Because we have a responsibility biblically not to hate one another and not to be ugly to one another. Now, you can't have hate crimes. You can't go out and kill people you don't like or assault people you don't like. But most people outside of the kingdom of heaven don't get this idea that they're not allowed to hate. But you and I do. God is a God of love and he's called us to love. Stand strong in our faith and in our convictions, but to be loving. That's a challenging thing for us to do that others don't have in this world. Um, and the fact is that some who call themselves Christians do cross that line, but that fact does not disqualify the rest of us from having the right to share our biblical views to a nation and to a world who nearly, who clearly need God's guidance. Secondly, I, this is what I call the credibility of silence. The credibility of silence says you're not qualified to have a viewpoint. For example, I'm not a woman. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm not a woman. I'm, and some would say I'm not qualified to say anything or have any opinions that have anything to do with women. And you're right, I'm not a woman. You're right about that part. But we don't really do that with anything else. If my doctor's a woman, I don't say, and I've had women doctors, I don't say to her, you're not qualified to be my doctor because you're not a man. You can't possibly understand what it's like to be a man because you're not a man, so I don't want you as my doctor. The reality is truth, real truth, not just conceptual or opinionated, I mean actual truth, that there is a God, 
God loves us. God has expectations of us because he created us. That is universal truth. The truth is that scripture is applicable to anyone, to everyone. You're not a pastor or a theologian this morning, but you can accept and teach great truths from the Bible anyway, not based on who you are, but based on who God is and what the Bible says. You don't have to be a theologian to get that. I'm not Jewish, but I can comment on the truths that we find in the Old Testament. I'm not Russian or Ukrainian, but I can make a viable conclusion that Russia's war against the Ukraine is unjustified. I'm not North Korean, but I can make the logical observation that Kim Jong-un is a nut. <laughs> and I'm not carrying a preborn child in my womb because I don't have a womb, first of all. But I know that we don't create life. God does. And as a believer, I know that God is already already loves that child, and so should we. Not because I'm a man, but because God is love and we are created in his likeness. I'll talk to you more about that in a minute. Then there's the dichotomy of silence. <laughs> the dichotomy of silence is if you're for the unborn, you're against women. You can't love unborn babies and women both. If you love that baby's life, you hate the woman's life. If you care about the baby's rights, you're against the woman's rights. And so I see this dichotomy thrown around in politics a lot, but it's not true. And then there's the legality of silence, that it's a legal argument, says you don't have the right to disagree. If you do disagree, anything you say should be dismissed because it's hate speech or you're racist or anti-whatever or you hate women, or you want to control women, these are all statements that are made to manipulate us into silence by the false claim that the law and the Constitution guarantees the right to take a baby's life, which, of course, it doesn't do. Then there are the politics of silence. If you don't publicly support your liberal agenda or our liberal agenda, we will cancel you and we will end you. We will publicly shame you, slander you, and... Um, and by the way, you can't remain neutral either. And again, to be fair, this happens on both sides. We have a cancel culture here. I canceled my Disney subscription. <laughs> yeah, yay. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, I would have told you uh, months ago if I'd have known you, you liked that that much. We can't afford it. Uh, for one, they went up in price like 50 bucks. But, um, uh, but I was mad and I canceled it because I was mad. And so I really struggle with the whole idea of cancel culture. You understand that most products that we buy from most companies are very liberal companies. And we target certain ones to cancel, just like cancel culture on the other side tries to cancel Chick-fil-A unsuccessfully because it's just too good. Or Hobby Lobby or others, and we're just constantly trying to cancel each other. So I find that interesting. And so uh, we, we, especially in the liberal world, they, they have campaigns to cancel whoever disagrees with them. It's kind of the politics of silence. When I was a kid, Hollywood generally didn't do politics. Talk show hosts like Johnny Carson didn't ever bring up political issues, ever. He just didn't go there because Johnny Carson, he commented on it publicly and said that he, his purpose is to entertain. 
uh, not to manipulate others into having their own views. But now politics have saturated almost every show and every movie you watch. And it is designed to manipulate, particularly our next generation, to do and believe according to their political and moral views. And we do have to be mindful of that. We have to be aware of that. So please consider the following truths from Scripture. And don't feel afraid or ashamed to openly declare God's truth to this world and that, that we should celebrate life. I'm not ashamed to tell you that I'm pro-life. I just am. And, I, 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 and this is not because I don't like women. I like women, fine. I, I, it's because I think that that's what, what God's word says. In fact, it's not ambiguous on the matter. So let's take a look at that. I'm going to give you about three reasons. And number one, we should be... We should celebrate life because God is the author of life. That is, all life was created by God. Genesis chapter 1, at the very beginning of the Bible, in verse 27, says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, I could go on and on about the words male and female. Uh, the Bible makes it very clear that there are two genders. There are male and female. And everybody has always believed that throughout the history of the world until the last decade. And now there's 37 genders uh, and non-genders. Uh, so I, don't, I still don't quite get that. But anyway, it's what it says, male and female, he created them. God did the creating. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. It's explicitly clear God is the creator. Listen, your mom and dad did not make you. God made you. Science didn't create you. God created you. Always remember that. You know, and we're, we're impressive. You may not think that you're very impressive. You are amazing. You don't even realize how amazing you are. How intricate and wondrous our bodies really are. And you may not feel like your body is wondrous <laughs> anymore, but it is. I saw this little uh, description. If you were to look at the back of your hand right now, and you were to, don't, don't get a pen out or anything, but draw in your mind a one-inch square on the back of your hand. Just one little inch of, of skin. Just the skin, nothing under it to the skin, mostly. You would find that there are, on average, 20 blood vessels in that one inch. 65 muscles attached to that. Seven, on average, 78 nerves, 78 sensors for heat, and 13 for cold. Which is interesting, we have more than double the sensors for heat than we have for cold, which is a challenge down here in Texas. Um, <laughs> You have 160 sensors for pressure. You have 600, in that one inch, you have 650 sweat glands, 1,300 nerve endings, and 19,500,000 cells in one inch of skin. Then there's your brain, which weighs about three pounds, some more or less, but stores, uh, but stores 100 trillion bits of information over the course of 70 years or more. Your brain does all of this and uses less than a hundred watt light bulb in energy. You're amazing. 
You're amazing because the one who made you is amazing. And he makes only amazing. That's all what he does. He's never made a mediocre thing in his life. Psalm 139, 14, the psalmist says, and you know this verse well, I praise you. This is a worship psalm. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And this was 3,000 years ago when David had no conception of the medical science that we have. But he knew that we were wonderfully made because we're made by God. John chapter 10 verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but this is Jesus speaking, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, God is the author of life. It wasn't until sin came into the world, evil came into the world through Satan that we have death. Death was not God's plan for mankind. Life was God's plan for mankind and still is. Have you ever painted something? I like to oil paint. Or have you ever done any needlework or made something from wood? Done something creative? And it becomes special to you because it's something that you created. I was in woodworking in high school. Do you still have woodworking? Do y'all still do woodworking? All right. And I drug home those things that I did in, in shop class. And... Uh, <sighs> What can I say? They weren't very good. But mama loved them. She kept them till the day she died. And now they're in my attic or somewhere, you know, end up in a yard sale. But mom loved them. They were valuable to her and they meant something to her. They were wonderful to her because they know that she knew that I created them. There's something very personal about creation. See, God loves us. He created us. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4, our passage for today. The word of the Lord came to me saying, and this is, I, I can't, well, let me read it. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I don't even know how, I don't, I can't wrap my head around that. It doesn't say from the moment you were conceived, I knew you. You see, God's transcendent. That means he's past, present, and future at the same time. He's not bound by linear time like we are, which is awesome, by the way. I'd love to have that ability. He's also omniscient. He knows everything, and he's all-powerful, omnipotent as well. And so God alone has this ability to say this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Did you know that God had a plan and a purpose for you before there was a you? Who is it? Who, who, who are we to change God's plan? So because God loves us and created us and has a plan for us, life should be valued by us. Watch this clip. This is very broken going into my senior year of high school. I had a lot of destructive habits and they began to increase things like cutting. And it was shortly after I graduated that I found out I was pregnant. There was no doubt in my mind that I was carrying a baby. But for me, it was just 
I don't want to have a baby. I don't want to be a mother. Uh, I told my best friend at the time. She said, I know this place you can go to get an abortion. I just said, okay, just called them and set an appointment. But I remember laying down back on the table, facing up the ceiling. I had one single tear that rolled straight back down to my hairline and I remember feeling how warm it was and that's the last tear I cried for years. I paid for death to enter my body and it did. Physically, yes, but also emotionally and spiritually, I was just completely dead inside. I got more into cutting, I began drinking more, I just was a lot more careless with my body. I found myself a year later pregnant again. So I heard myself doing what I didn't even want to be doing, which was calling the exact same clinic that I swore I'd never step foot in again and agreeing to a date and a time and a price and all of that. And I had an abortion set again a year later. A couple of days later, I got a phone call from my dad and he asked me if I would go to dinner with him and my mom. And I immediately knew something was up. I heard my voice agreeing to it, even though I didn't want to go. I didn't want to tell them anything about my life. So I met them at the restaurant, felt super nervous and awkward. And my dad pretty quickly just got to the point saying that um, they wanted to give me the opportunity to share with them if there was anything going on in my life I wanted to tell them about or anything they could maybe be a help to me with. And then he just sat there silently looking at me. And I felt so exposed. I felt like God had told on me to my parents because there was no way that they could have known. I found out later that my mom had been praying for me and um, that in one of those prayer times that God had impressed upon her very clearly, Elise is pregnant and she is considering an abortion. Took a minute and um, ate some more bread and told them, everything's fine and um, finished eating, went back out to my car and I just <laughs> screamed internally at God saying, no, I will not do it. I will not accept this life. I called up my best friend and told her, I need to be able to go through with this abortion. Let's get some drugs. And in that process, I thought that it would be like a confirmation for me and an escape from thinking about the abortion, but it was like, God had my full attention. It was, there was no escape. It felt like he was just wrestling with me all night long. And so I was like, okay, if I can't have an abortion, like I'm just, I'm just gonna kill myself. Like I'll take us both out. But every time when I would open my eyes again, I was like, I am still alive. It's like God would not let me die. I was exhausted by the time morning rolled around and ended up talking with my friend. After about six hours of conversation, I remember just saying to my friend, I'm gonna do it. And I was saying it really to God, okay, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna keep this baby. That was the moment when I said I was gonna keep Selah. I came to my parents' house, I remember sitting on the bed and I'm just gonna, in one conversation, put it all out there and explain the different things that I need help with. And but um, at the end of that conversation, we're like, we love you. We're here for you no matter what. At the time when I had the abortion scheduled for Selah, I was just thinking about 
what was happening in my life right then. But God knew and He had this whole beautiful plan that I couldn't even imagine. Motherhood did not shrink my life in the way that I thought or felt that it would. And so I'm so grateful for this huge family that He had designed to give me. Now, did you catch that, among other things? And we'll talk a little bit about the prayer in a minute. But she said, you know, when I had the abortion there at the end, I, or I went to have or scheduled the abortion, I was just thinking about what was going on in my life. And I know, young ladies, there's tremendous pressure on you. It really is. Uh, but she said, but God had a, a bigger picture than that. He had this whole, she said, he had this whole beautiful plan for her. And now she's got a, apparently a whole bunch of kids, uh, her and her husband there in the end with a huge family. You know, God has plans for you and he has plans for your children as well. Number two, I want you to remember not only that God is the author of life and we should respect life because God loves life. But secondly, and I know I probably say this every time, but it's really important and it's very simple. I would say this to anyone, remember the golden rule. Do you remember the golden rule? Jesus shared it in Luke chapter 6, verse 31. He simply said this, do to others as you would have them do to you. I think that's fair when considering the unborn as well. What would you want them to do? For everyone that exists, regardless of your political leanings or your liberal or conservative or moderate leanings or where you are, or whether you're an atheist or a Baptist or a Buddhist or whatever your life, aren't you glad your parents chose to have you? That they considered you? Well, I would say the same to you and I about our unborn children. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The world doesn't seem to understand this important rule, by the way. And they sure don't apply it to the unborn. But Christ would. And we must. Number three, act. Act. And really, it's a fair question and is the ultimate question for you and I in Christ and those who are pro-life and, and support life and, and the sanctity of life, what should we do? Or maybe some would say, what shouldn't we do? There are some things you can do that will help. Like any great cause in the Bible, you can do things that will help or things that will harm. Well, number one, and I'm just going to give you a few, about four, very, very quickly. Number one, what, what should you do? Number one, don't be silenced. That is, whatever you do, don't do nothing. Here's the thing. You and I, in a very short time, a few years or decades, we, you and I, are going to answer before God. And there won't be any political party there to, to defend you. Nor will there be anybody there to, to, for you to blame. You and I, or for me either, I've got to answer to God for this. This very issue, among others, I have to answer to God for. And if God says to me, Lee, you did nothing. You didn't say a word. You didn't do a thing. I don't want to hear that. I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to have to answer to that. So don't be silent. God will hold us account for not only what we say and do in this life, but for what we don't say and what we don't do. 
Never let this world manipulate you into silence or not doing what you know is right. Again, on Judgment Day, if you say to God, well, you know, these people this and these people that, and they manipulate, no, God, no, he's not going to buy that. Number two, don't condemn or hate others. As I've said before already, disagree clearly and unapologetically, but do so without giving in to hate. As soon as you start being hateful, you've taken a wrong turn if you're a follower of Christ. Number three, vote. Not because it's politics. I don't care about that. Life is not a political issue. It is the most fundamental issue of our existence. It is astonishing to me that it has even entered into our politics and laws. It didn't used to because everyone had this understanding that we must respect life. I don't vote because I identify with a political party. I vote because I believe that God wants me to support life. And I have never voted for anyone, nor will I ever vote for anyone who does not support life. Again, you you follow your convictions. Those are mine. Number three, participate. Do something. What can you do? Write your representatives. Tell them that you believe the Bible calls us to respect life. Volunteer. We have the Eagle Mountain Pregnancy Help Center just right down the road. They're always needing volunteers. And you don't have to be any great theologian or a great pro-life celebrity person. You can just quietly serve. God sees what you're doing. There are so many young women who need friends and need help. Help them. Those are places where you can do that. Or donate to their budget in addition. (coughs) They need diapers and baby seats, car seats, and all kinds of things. Help them. Number four, pray. And you know I'm going to say that I'm a pastor, but listen, most people, even Christians, greatly underestimate the power of prayer. Here's what happened in this video that we watched a while ago, and I'm about to show you another one on prayer. (laughs) This girl had scheduled this abortion. It was her second one, and her mother was home praying. You know what God did? She said it in the video that God told on her that she got convicted as she's praying. God revealed to her that her daughter was, in fact, pregnant. And so out of compassion, she goes up and tells her husband, and they hop in the car, they call the daughter and say, we want to meet with you. They go to wherever her university is, wherever she was living, they invite her out to dinner and and take her to dinner and sit down with her and say, look, whatever's going on in your life, we welcome you to share. They didn't confront her in the terms of accuse her or say, God told me to tell you this or such and such. They didn't, they just as loving parents say, we're concerned and it, it, their concern happened as a result of prayer. Did you know that God will use people <laughs> to get to you? I told you a couple of weeks ago that somebody honked at me on the interstate, and, and um, I very lovingly pushed on my horn too. And 
wanted him to know that I had a horn. And so, you know, a couple men with a horn. Ooh. And so, <laughs> but you know what happened? Now, I didn't tell you this part. The Holy Spirit and my wife teamed up together <laughs> to come after me. And I think one of them hit me. <laughs> God will do that. He will use the Holy Spirit to team up with somebody for your benefit, ultimately. And they were there for her benefit. God will do that. So you pray. You pray. And I don't mean just throw it out in a prayer before you eat your pancakes. Pray. I mean, you can pray before your pancakes too, but pray. Spend some time. Spend. Prayer is powerful. In fact, I'm going to show you a testimony now. And before I show you this testimony, I, I, I may have told you this. I spent an entire day looking through testimonies online. There are thousands of testimonies in video and in writing. And I, oh, there were some I just, I wanted to read to you so bad. Just powerful testimonies from women who share how God intervened in their life. God forgave them and restored them and, and God protected them and, and just amazing testimonies. I spent so much time crying over these testimonies so I can only show you a couple, but I, I, this one really struck me because this is, I won't say God does this every time in this way, but God simply overruled the abortionist and even the mother because of prayer. Watch this clip. I always thought I was pro-life until I found myself in that place. I just was not in a position to bringing in a baby into my life. It just didn't fit. All of the variables that were involved at that time. I was divorced. I was a single mom raising two kids on 30,000 a year. Um, I just felt like I couldn't, I just couldn't handle it. So I was supposed to have lunch with a friend and I called her and I postponed it and said, you know, this is what's going on in my life. Um, she went to her church and um, a bunch of people got together and prayed and they prayed that God would change my heart and I just just felt like I was pretty much on my own I just felt like I had to take it into my own hands and have an abortion so I went in, uh, set the appointment, went in and the doctor um, there was an instrument you know, and then he turned on the machine and the suctioning and all that happened. And I, you know, I was crying at that time, but I just felt like this, is, this has got to be the right thing for me. And, you know, had the abortion. But I went back a, a week later and um, the doctor came in and he says, we have a lining of your uterus and your pregnancy tissue, but no fetal tissue. We feel like uh, it's in your, you have a tubular pregnancy. And uh, they did the ultrasound. I mean, they basically, uh, they said, well, there it is. And I said, there, what is, you know, what do you mean? And they said, well, it's right where it's supposed to be. It's not in the tubes. And they said, you see that light blinking there? And I said, yes, what is going on? And um, so in that moment, 
when I saw that light blinking and it was his heartbeat, that's when it really became a life to me. And the doctor came in and he says, you know, I've done over 10,000 abortions and this has never happened. He goes, it's as if something was covering it. I knew that something supernatural had happened. He says, but at no charge, we'll go in and we'll do it again. And I said, uh, no, no, we won't. I said, I'm not gonna take my hand to this. And so uh, it was God's unmerited favor in that situation. He spoke to me and he said, it's the power of prayer because of the people that went before and stood in the gap to pray specifically for that situation. And that's why I truly believe Austin's life was spared. I was given a second chance because the abortion didn't work. You know, so I'm just really grateful. I loved him from the time he came into the world and he's just a really incredible man. Great father, good husband, and um, he's just a blessing to me. The doctor said he'd done 10,000 abortions. That was shocking to me. But then he said, this has never happened before. And there, she had told a friend, and there was a group of Christians that were praying for her. That's astonishing. And what a blessing she, she has learned. What a blessing that son became. Now she has grandchildren through that son. What a blessing life is. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today and we acknowledge that you are the giver of life. You're the creator. You made us. And you designed a plan for our life before you even made us. You already loved us. You already knew us. Again, I, I can't comprehend that. But I believe your word. And I know that your wisdom is so far above ours. There's just no way of being powerful enough to speak the entire universe into existence. And yet you love us. Thank you. Father, I pray that you would help us to teach our children, those that we know, those that we love, to respect life that you love life. It, it is a gift from you. I pray that you would help us to do something. Help us not to be ugly or hateful to those to whom we disagree. Help us to find a way to not be silenced, but to speak your love and your wisdom to others. Help us to pray for those who need prayer that we bathe them in prayer so that they, they can go down the path that you have for them and be drawn to you. We pray that you would save lives through prayer as you have so many times. Father, I pray that you would help those that are here and those that are listening online to act, to write a letter to their congressman or congresswoman saying, hey, I'm I want you to know I respect and honor life. I think it's a gift from God. Or to give 
to a pregnancy center like Eagle Mountain Pregnancy or other places or to serve and go and act as a volunteer. So that in a brief time, when we stand before your throne and we give an account of our life and of ourself on everything, including this, the sanctity of life, that we can't stand there or we won't stand there awkwardly fiddling because we have nothing to say. We were manipulated into silence or we just didn't care enough to say anything to anybody. We didn't even spend time praying about it. And we didn't take the opportunity to give and to serve. Father, we don't want to do that. Help us right now. Guide us, convict us, lead us as we do that very thing, to give and to serve and to pray. Thank you for life. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you right where you are? I don't know what you're going through. Whether somebody here or somebody online, and you're dealing with this very issue, this very challenge, and you have people around you, surrounding you, saying, hey, just take care of it. I want you to know that God loves you, and he loves your child already. He already has a plan for him or her. Choose life. I want you to know that if you share with us we will be praying for you. We'll help you in any way that we can as you get ready for this life. I want you to know that if you've had an abortion in your past, that God is a forgiving God. And the past is over. The Bible says he will separate our sins as far as the east is from the west and remember them no more. God wants you to move forward down the path he has for you. He is gracious and forgiving. Or maybe you just want to come and pray for somebody that you know that's struggling with this or might be struggling with this. And you want to show compassion to them and ask for God's intervention in their life and God's guidance in their life. Or maybe God is calling you to join with this church. You just want to come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. Or maybe you want to give your life to Christ and commit to him. We just want to come and praise for someone. If God is leading right now, this invitation is for you. No one's looking around. As you continue to pray, would you stand? All heads are bowed, all eyes are closed. And as you stand and as you pray right now, you can come.